Welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You are in season four of the podcast. And as we always talk about, Jeremy, sometimes there are episodes that the randomizer chooses, shows that the randomizer picks for us to watch that are big time shows, are very obvious shows that everyone would think, yeah, you guys need to review that. There are other times that the randomizer chooses shows that are completely off the board uh without an obvious reason as something that's completely random does i would say this week's episode falls into that latter category sure occasionally it's a tv show that's a nothing or it's a it's a uh an event like this one where uh there's no need to go back and watch this show but we do because the randomizer chose it for us it can pick anything it's not always a hit but some of the misses it's had this is nowhere near that territory either oh, so no. it's uh yeah this one is from the WWE old school category on the WWE network or Peacock if you're streaming in the US it's the uh it's listed as LA Sports Arena the date is August 13th 1998 season 17 episode 5 the this is just a random house show or you know these this old school section mostly random house shows although this one actually aired on television on the z channel yeah a lot of these house shows that are on peacock slash wwe network under the old old school setting are like this where it's their house shows but their house shows that had some level of full tv production some with announcers, some uh, without. This does have commentary. We'll definitely get to that later. I, I was more familiar with, uh, you know, the Boston shows uh, airing on local cable there. Obviously, the MSG shows airing on MSG Network. Um, Maple Leaf Garden shows kind of had a similar thing. I've never heard of the Z Channel. <laughs> Neither did I. I had this to... aired on in, in Los Angeles. I had to do some research. The Z Channel launched in 1974, founded it... by Z Man Tom Zink. <laughs> not quite, not quite. Uh, it, uh, it was one of the first pay TV stations in the U.S., mainly showing movies until 1988. Remember the date of this show, August 13th, 1988. Uh, competition from other pay TV channels like HBO, Showtime, and the Movie Channel increased. In 1988, the Z Channel started airing live sports. Uh, deals were made to show games from the Los Angeles Angels, the Clippers, and the Dodgers, and WWF, obviously. The sports deals were funded by selling advertising during the games. However, court ruling reaffirmed the contracts with the movie studio stipulated that the service be commercial-free. Z Channel, out of options, was sold to NBC and Cablevision, who were joint partners in a new cable venture called Sports Channel. In 1989, the sale was done, and the Z Channel was retired. It was replaced by Sports Channel Los Angeles. So the Z Channel was available nationally as sort of an HBO Showtime type of deal, or no? That's the uh, it. It was, but it was focused on the Los Angeles area there. So, which I guess makes sense because as we talked about before, we here in Chicago for some reason had MSG Network 
on cable and if i'm correct and i believe we've talked about this before like it split time like during the day it would be home shopping channel and then at night if there was a wrestling show or i think you know they show rangers games sometimes um but yeah kind of the wild west the early days of cable um <laughs> like you said the z channel i don't think too many people would know that that was a competitor of hbo and showtime so this was a split crew working this house show slash Z channel special. Uh, the do you know where the other crew was? They were in Wait, Syracuse, Syracuse, New York. The other wow, crew. So as far away basically as they could get, <laughs> and I'm assuming, given who was on the show and who wasn't, that the other crew was headlined with the whole Kogan match. That's what I thought. We were both wrong. Uh, the, uh, the, this card, we'll run it down real quick. This is the, this is going on on the opposite side of the country on the same day. Terry Taylor defeated Scott Casey by disqualification. The big boss man defeats Ken Patera. The intercontinental title match, the honky tonk man successfully defends against Brutus, the barber beefcake. Ted DiBiase defeats Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Danny Davis defeats Mike Masters. Bad News Brown defeats Coco Beware. So if you were here to see the Babyfaces win, this was not the show for you. <laughs> and the the headlining match to send everyone home, the WWF tag team titles were on the line. The British Bulldogs defeated the champions demolition by disqualification. Wow, so non-finishes abound uh, in addition to heels winning up until the main event so i guess as it should be this show here at the los angeles sports arena was in fact the a show very much so. crew but kind of crazy that you had two shows going on one in new york one in los angeles and neither no of them had hulk hogan no no hogan i couldn't figure out where hogan was at this point what was going on why he wasn't on either of these shows but he was not on either um your commentary team for our show here in Los Angeles, Gorilla Monsoon, and superstar Billy Graham. I was never a fan of superstar Billy Graham as a play-by-play guy, but I have to say, uh, I found him entertaining for the at least half of the show. Star- started to wear wear out his welcome towards the end, but like uh, I felt like for at least half the show, I was enjoying myself some Superstar Billy Graham. He was totally fine for parts of the show, um, you know, with Gorilla calling the action and him you know, throwing stuff in as he did the main event. I thought he was insufferable in, and we'll get to <laughs> yes. that later. I, he sure did. If, oh, he overstayed his welcome for it sure. It almost That's... seemed like gorilla was having technical problems or had a frog in his throat. Cause there were several times to where like it reminded me of when you're watching a Chicago Cubs game, or I should say when you're listening to a Chicago Cubs game and Pat Hughes leaves for the fifth inning. And if like whoever happens to be in any given season, the studio pre and post game host, uh, isn't there to do play-by-play, and instead Ron Coomer has to do play-by-play, <laughs> uh, a guy who's usually an analyst. That was the vibes I had from superstar Billy Graham here in the main event. My overriding thought, though, on him, even in the, the parts where he wasn't bad, he could best be described uh, commentator-wise as Dusty Rhodes without any of the charm. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, I, I did think, you know, that he, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. I'll, I'll have some super, superstar Billy Graham isms along the way, but I did, uh, oh, there are several. for, for how much of a zero he was in other appearances, like you go to his SummerSlam 88 commentary, mm. uh, total nothing and a lot of the stuff like here he was like he felt like he was trying hard and he He was was, engaged he was engaged yeah maybe to a fault at times but for the most part uh he was engaged he also laid out very early on he staked out his territory as far as what he wants to see in his pro wrestling and what (laughs) he doesn't want to see in his pro wrestling uh, in the opener which was a guy a hairy jobber named Black Jack wrestling Sam Houston. Sam Houston, by the way, this is what, three, four years after a lot of the stuff we've seen him on in the NWA on a lot of these TV shows. Sam Houston comes out. He's wearing chaps. He's doing some wacky cowboy dance that looked more like a Tatanka dance. I don't know what was going on. And then the match starts, and superstar Billy Graham is appalled by how skinny Sam Houston is. And as I'm looking at Sam Houston here and thinking back to all the other times we've seen him on this podcast, all I'm thinking is... This is the biggest he's been. (laughs) Oh, by Sam Houston's standards, he is jacked. Like, you can see a neck muscle or two. There's a little bit of definition in his biceps. He is obviously a tall, lanky, narrow guy because that's his build. But uh, he's saying, get in the gym. And I'm like... Jesus, this guy's been in nothing but the gym to even get to this level compared to what he was like before. Oh, yeah. Superstar wants Sam Houston to start bulking up, pumping some iron. And uh, it was basically, how do you say steroids without actually saying steroids? That was. How do you say find the needle right now (laughs) without saying that? I also I want to give Sam Houston some credit as far as being able to adapt, think, uh, uh, be light on his feet. Nothing having to do with actual in-ring moves. The match is about to start. He takes off his chaps. He is also wearing a jacket. He tries to unzip the jacket. The <laughs> zipper gets caught at the bottom. And like a true pro, the likes I've never seen before, he just decides very quickly to just take the jacket off like it's a shirt. Just slips it off over his head, and we're on our way. I have seen guys have much bigger problems with ring jackets uh, <laughs> in the same scenario. Kudos to Sam Houston. You mentioned Black Jack, his opponent, just a, a dude in long black tights, a black mask. Uh, he's a substitute for the Iron Sheik, who had just wow. quit the WWF. Uh, he's Jack Wildman Armstrong, who was just a, a, a nobody wrestler. He did his big claim to fame, according to IMDb. He was in that 1974 The Wrestler movie. So. Ah. Um, Blackjack, uh, one of my uh, so superstar right out of the gate. Superstar Billy Graham describes Blackjack as he's not moving very mobily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, so so this match was there to help people find their seats too. You can see people milling about in the back, uh, late arriving crowd uh, getting their seats, and this was WWE Dark Elevation. Very much. Lots of headlocks, head scissors. Wasn't very good. Even Monsoon's like, back to the headlock. Good control hold, but you're not going to beat anybody with it. So he's bored too. Well, that's uh, the first of 
dozens of times seemingly throughout this show <laughs> where Gorilla Monsoon is actively working against the drama the wrestlers are trying to build. As he says, that move won't get it done or you're not executing this move properly. There's no way this can be a finish. Uh, Billy Graham is appalled by Sam Houston's constant return to the headlock, the side headlock takeover. There's one point where Sam Houston hits a great drop kick, which Billy Graham was clearly excited about seeing. And then he is just screaming about Sam Houston going back to the headlock, says you should have just kept throwing drop kicks so there are no more drop kicks left to throw and then pin the man. Instead, this match went on and on He and wasn't on. wrong. Superstar wasn't so, wrong in that analysis. He was uh, correct in his analysis. <laughs> this had big primetime wrestling Mike Sharp versus uh, Jim Powers vibes. This just kept going forever. Houston wins with a sloppy-looking bulldog. And we're off to the next match. Well, that is not the name of the move, though. The bulldog is oh, called, sorry. according the to Gorilla Monsoon, yeah. the steer... Buster, and I'm the glad you said buster. it twice because the first time he said it, it sounded like he said the steel buster. And I was writing down in my notes, why is this a steel buster? And then uh, Gorilla said it's the steer buster. Steer Apparently, buster. he ropes some cattle via a bulldog headlock out on the pasture. Okay. Barry Horowitz, the favorite jobber of the WWF in the 1980s, Barry Horowitz taking on the blue angel and the blue angel comes out jumps over the top rope and my notes say holy crap that's owen hart (laughs) yes yes the blue angel was the pre-blue blazer mask gimmick for owen hart when he first came into the wwf the look is very low effort in the sense that it is owen hart wearing his new japan gear with a generic light blue mask so he's got this dark navy blue gear with uh, white accents and then this powder blue mask that's somewhat more resemblant of the uh, uh, of the blue blazer mask. But yes, it is Owen Hart taking on Barry Horowitz here. Yeah, so this match starts like you get the, the, the angel leaps to the top rope, drops down, does a flip off the top into the arm drag. WWF 1988 second match on the card. This is spectacular. Oh. Uh, he's working over the arm. He's doing these smooth transition moves between throws and suplexes while holding the arm the entire time. He's floating over for pin attempts, never giving up the arm along the way. He's high flying. He's doing amazing mat grappling. That I don't know how you watch this and not say this guy's amazing. Like this, this, what a star. And he's not even small. Like, it always amazes me going back. You know, it's like that being the knock on Owen Hart. He's he's a high flyer, but he's a big guy. His arms are big. His upper body's big. He's not tiny. Uh, and yet, yeah, they, you know, they threw him in this mask. It was also interesting at the beginning of the match as, like, Gorilla Monsoon is basically trying to say this is Owen Hart without saying it's Owen Hart. He's talking about how this is clearly a, a accomplished very good professional wrestler from a, a, a serious wrestling background. Superstar Billy Graham is freaking out about how great he is. And like the gimmick here with the blue angel almost seems to be that like, he's not really a masked wrestler. He's a great wrestler. He's going to win a bunch of matches. And then at a certain point, he's going to take the mask off and reveal who he's been the entire time. So it's interesting that that's what they were leaning into versus when he would be the blue blazer shortly after that, you know, they never really talked that way about him. 
But yeah, Owen Blue Angel looks great here, and I'm I'm excited for this match because it feels so much better. Uh, it feels like it's so much better of a match, and it's going to be a much more satisfying match than what we saw in the opener. Oh, I like yeah. Barry Horowitz, but this match grinds to a complete and utter halt when Barry Horowitz gets control. Yeah, he gets control with a super kick, which I was definitely not expecting uh, no. Barry Horowitz to throw out a super kick. And and Owen was going a million miles an hour and runs into the super kick hard. And then uh, he gets sent chest first into the buckles in case there was any mystery if he was the brother of yes, Bret Hart. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> the Bret Hart turnbuckle bump was here in full effect. But yeah, Horowitz was on offense for a shockingly long amount of time. And... This was not good. It exposed just how bad this guy is. In well, even even more so than that, it was also it even took the announcers aback because they're calling this match the first part of it as though like Horowitz is a nothing, Blue Angel is incredible, and this is gonna he's gonna make short work of him. And then Horowitz is on offense, and he's on offense, and he's on offense. Oh. And the story of this match is not supposed to be, wow, Barry Horowitz is better no. than we think <laughs> at all. And you can even you can hear the announcers like in what they're not saying, but what they're trying to say through that. Like they're basically saying, why is this match going this way? The Blue Angels should be putting this guy away, like legitimately thinking that. Yeah, they were they the announcers were all of us watching this match, yes. <laughs> having the exact same thoughts. Uh the Blue Angel with a Turning cross body off the middle rope. He tosses Horowitz. the Tim Horner test, by the way, we should mention. Totally passed the Tim Horner test. On that yes, one. absolutely. With flying colors. Uh, Horowitz goes flying off the top rope as he's tossed off by the Angel. Angel hits a top rope shotgun drop kick. Talk about his Japanese days. Shotgun and- drop kick off the top that went three quarters of the way across this huge WWF ring. This was damn near a van terminator he hits it and then immediately does a kip up and the place is like holy crap <laughs> like they are into this now they've been shook out of the the haze they were in with barry horowitz on offense he hits a moonsault this moonsault was vicious the knees landing right on the face and chest of horowitz but he gets the pin after that in a huge ovation well deserved because the blue angel's awesome Absolutely. Moonsault off the top. We should be clear on that. Um, and it was the type of thing where Owen's top rope moonsault is, I, I won't say it's as graceful as, but it's somewhat similar to, uh, for example, Kurt Angle in that the trajectory of it, the motion, the arc is much more, it's high in the air and then down versus the great Muda, which is just all snap flying across the ring. And he had Horowitz just a little bit too far out toward the center. And as you said, and even as the announcers basically said, he flipped him and knee dropped him basically is what this was. But it was crazy to see a moonsault like this uh, in the WWF in 1988. And to your point earlier, I don't know how if you're running this company, you, you watch this match and you don't think this is a guy that we need to do something with right now mask no mask blue angel blue blazer owen hart whatever you do this is a guy that is in fact more than than just a guy no he's in hd while everyone else's standard definition yes 100 the bolsheviks come out nikolai volkov and boris zukov 
Nikolai's singing the Soviet national anthem, but gets interrupted by the powers of pain who run out baby to attack face, Babyface powers of pain. I have zero recollection of them ever being babyfaces in the WWF. They are more than they've ever been in their careers. They are cosplaying the Road Warriors here. I have almost nothing to say about this match other than that the Barbarian is awesome. The warlord exists and takes up space. He does. Uh, there's not really to me much to say about this all except for the finish, which is a power slam from the warlord, a crazy top rope flying headbutt from the barbarian, and we're out. So this show is taking place 16 days before the first SummerSlam, SummerSlam 1988, uh, headlined by the Mega Powers and the Mega Bucks. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but at that SummerSlam show, the Bolsheviks will take on the powers of pain, the babyface powers of pain here. Uh, and this uh, th- this would set up eventually their double turn at the Survivor Series that year where Demolition went babyface, powers of pain went heel, and uh, Mr. Fuji went with the powers of pain. Uh, so it was a short run of, of babyface run, but uh, that's where they're at here. Uh, the place was nuts for these guys as baby faces. They loved them. Um, I think it was. A, I think it was special, um, like nearsighted night at LA Sports Arena. <laughs> they took away everyone's glasses, and these people think it was uh, thought it was Hawk and Animal. So their their match at SummerSlam only went five and a half minutes. This one. This went five went and a half hours. Significantly longer. Uh, so. Uh, all I can say is find someone who likes you as much as Superstar loves the powers of pain. <laughs> Those are his wrestlers. He's so excited he loves the about barbarian. their physical appearance. Particularly, he loves the Barbarian. And then when he sees the Warlord, he's like, he's even bigger. <laughs> so we're off to a great show. We're off to the, the opposite of the... Syracuse show, we've got three straight babyface victories to start the show. So we're off to a crowd pleasing show. C- crowd pleasing, correct. That's the word, the word I was looking for. That's the word I was looking for. A lot of work here. <laughs> I think it is being carried entirely by the Blue Angel, no. Owen Hart. Yeah, yes, correct. Point. I'm still flying high on the Blue Angel. We uh, then we go from there to Jesse Ventura, Jesse the Body Ventura, joining Gorilla Monsoon. Jesse the movie star Body Ventura. Exactly. They're in L.A., so that's why he can join them. He's a movie star now. Uh, Joins them for commentary on Special Delivery S.D. Jones versus a pre-Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig fresh off of his AWA run. Talk about matches that went on and on oh and on. Oh my god. I was very excited to see Kurt Hennig here. I don't know, and this counts all of his matches in WCW. I think we have the same after note here. he came back from uh <laughs> his Lloyds of London level back injury. I don't think I've ever seen Kurt Hennig look worse in a wrestling match than this. He looked awful. The only thing that he did in this match that looked good was he took his flip bumps from the leg kicks uh, in the ropes. Outside of that, if you had only seen this match and had never seen Kurt Hennig before, you would think this is a guy who had a cup of coffee in the WWF and went on to wrestle in crappy territories at the end of the territory era and then never was seen or heard from again. The fact that he looked like this here 
and still got that push, became Mr. Perfect, and looked so great just months later is mind-boggling to me because I remember him in 1989 as Mr. Perfect wrestling Bret Hart on one of those MSG shows that we got to see here in Chicago, and it was an awesome match. And, yes, he was in there with Bret Hart, but he was an active participant in, in it being so great. He looked horrible here. Everything about 89 Mr. Perfect was awesome. Uh, he had nothing but great matches all the time. This is by far the worst, most boring match I've seen. My notes say, I don't know if I've ever seen a more boring Kurt Hennig match, and that covers uh, matches in the AWA and, and very early on. This was hard to watch. Uh, and the three guys on commentary, Superstar, Jesse, and Gorilla Monsoon, they had their own podcast while yes. waiting for something to happen in this match. Um, yeah, so they, it, I don't know. I don't this know match, how you do an actual like move-by-move review. No, of it. Like, you can't. This it, was SD Jones show, throwing like the shortest, weakest punches of all time, mixing in a headbutt here or there. Like Kurt Henning having awkward counters for things nothing he did looked good including a horrendous backbreaker and, and yes sd jones 1988 not good but kurt hennig brought nothing to the table here now he wins coming out of the corner hits a clothesline uh out of the corner that his dad's move the axe uh it's and... just like a clothesline to the top of the head it's like a forearm but instead of hitting with the front of your forearm you're hitting it with the like the interior of your form, it, it's very clear why they decided to go with a different finisher for him shortly thereafter. This match was only 13 minutes, and it felt no less than 30 minutes. This match felt every bit of 30 minutes. How was this only 13? I was shocked. Every 60-minute match I've seen in my life felt at least a half hour shorter than this. It was terrible. And, like, you don't need to watch this, but if you don't believe us and you think that a match during this era of Kurt Hennig was this bad and that he was an active participant in it being this bad, go ahead and pull this up and watch. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's a way to skim it, no. but this is, this was not good. And now we get to uh, the match before the intermission, which is the main event, but it's not the, the last match on the show the promoted main event which a lot of times and i don't know if they did it in arena here but a lot of times this would be the main event on these house shows because then something would happen you know it would be the title match the champion would win or something would happen they go to intermission and the ring announcer would say tickets on sale now and would tell you what the main event was for the next show which would be coming off of the match you just saw or a lot of times it was also because Hulk Hogan just wanted to be able to leave the building early. Or he was doing a double shot and yes. uh, <laughs> and was working two house shows. Um, here, it's the WWF Championship on the line. The challenger, Andre the Giant, with Bobby the Brain Heenan, taking on the WWF Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, with Miss Elizabeth. Heenan on the outside, he comes over. He's got words for Elizabeth, and Savage quickly breaks that up, and we get one of my favorite things, Heenan running, like backpedaling backward <laughs> as fast as he can. Always funny. The ref ends up tossing Heenan for no reason, and he's livid. Uh, the Giants livid. 
and he's <laughs> Heenan's like he, he's like I'm gonna stay right here. I promise. I'll stay right here in the corner. Don't don't worry about it. The police have to come and escort him out. Uh, I I was uh you want to talk about a guy who had other places to be because he never came back out with Rick Rude later either. No, no, we have a backstage promo with him uh, and Rick Rude, but yeah, he never comes out with Rick Rude. Uh, it's a shame because you talk about guys that are in HD while everyone else is in standard definition. Bobby Heenan just leaps off the screen. Uh, the crowd is insane uh, as you know these men come out. This match is about to start. Um, Heenan just incessantly bad-mouthing uh, Elizabeth. It was just hilarious just because of the juxtaposition of those two characters. Bobby Heenan, the most over-the-top, ridiculous, belligerent, but entertaining guy you've ever seen. And then Elizabeth, who is amazing in her own way and has this presence, but is just completely mute, doesn't react to anything. Um, there's also a, a moment where like the announcers are rightfully pointing out, why, why does Bobby Heenan have to leave? But Elizabeth gets to stay. And then Billy Graham in uh, a quote that you could only say in 1988, and certainly not in 2022, basically says, uh, what is the exact thing? He says, she can stay because she's helpless. She's a lady. (laughs) The bell rings and we are underway. Andre is trying to grab Savage a few times, but Savage is able to evade him using quickness. Yes, he is using quickness. Meanwhile, Andre, who is very hobbled here, is using the ropes as he's trying to lunge toward uh, Randy Savage. This is not like 1992 in all Japan, Andre, but this is an Andre that is having trouble. Oh, no, this, uh, you know, 1987 at WrestleMania three, he was having trouble. Yes. And so a year later in 88, he can do even less. Um, the, you know, the main event of the SummerSlam show is Hogan and Savage as the Mega Powers taking on the Mega Bucks team of Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant. So uh, this was a, uh, a, a a singles match for Andre here in 1988. Not a ton of them. Um, more in 1989. He had a weird run in 89 there. His last run was like with... Uh, with John Studd and with Andre the Giant and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He had a weird uh, run in 89, uh, but in 88, it was imagine, Imagine a singles match in 1989 between Andre the Giant and Big John Studd. Uh, Big John Studd coming off of his Royal Rumble win. They were going to do something big with him. Uh, that, That push did not survive that Andre feud. One headbutt in this match and then a punch from Andre and Savage is down on the outside. Back inside, Andre's choking Savage. He's choking him with his hands. Then he's using the strap on his tights to choke Which him. Which they call a tunic. They did. I don't think the single strap on tights, like a singlet, I don't think that's what a tunic is. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think that's the, the dictionary definition of a tunic, though. But they were laughing because, like... Andre's got these giant hands and he's using a tiny strap to joke. Yes. He's just being uh, evil for the sake yeah, of, he's just cheating exactly. for the sake of cheating. Not for, yeah, not for any actual gain because there's no way this would hurt more than Andre choking with your bare hands. It's just so embedded in your nature that you are a bad person, a cheater, as you would yell out at wrestling shows, Jeremy. 
that's, hockey uh, games. that's just what Andre does. And hockey games as well, <laughs> whenever there's a penalty. Andre's standing tall. He sh- some shoulder, shoulder blocks in the corner on Savage. And Savage gets a knee up. Andre catches the knee on the side of the head. Savage then comes off the top with the double axe handle. He's throwing quick punches, but Andre cuts him off with a headbutt. I love that counter of these shoulder blocks in the corner. You know, the classic shoulder blocks of the stomach in the corner. On the third or fourth one, as you said, Savage gets his knee up, and uh, Andre basically headbutts himself into Savage's knee. That's something that needs to come back. Yeah, absolutely. That's a... uh... Uh, that was a great counter to get out of this predicament. And then we get a bear hug by Andre. Andre's got the bear hug on. We get a close-up of the hands. We get no critique from Gorilla Monsoon. He is satisfied with this bear hug. <laughs> the most disappointing thing on this show is that a bear hug happens from Andre the Giant, and Gorilla Monsoon has no comment. Nope. I, I feel... I feel if I was paying for the Z channel as a seven-year-old, I would have asked my mom if she could get us a refund. If you're wondering what we're talking about, go back to the uh, Royal Albert Hall uh, episode of this podcast, probably season one uh, of this podcast. One of our one of my favorite episodes we ever did, and uh, Gorilla Monsoon critiquing uh, bear hugs in the most hilarious way so go go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't uh that's one of one of my favorites on this this channel absolutely same with me i thought that was one of the best ones we did for sort of this weird time capsule show that was wwf from royal albert hall in 1991 fear not though there will be submission hold critiques later on uh just not a bear hug savage uses the ear clap to get his way free he goes off the ropes andre misses a big boot Savage hits a clothesline, and Andre is down, and his arms are tied in the ropes. So the classic Andre the Giant falls down, gets his arms tied in the rope spot. The place goes insane for for Andre getting stuck in the ropes. And Savage, so much more, so much more into this than anything else on the show. I mean, not that that's surprising, but it definitely needs to be said. Also, this is a much more effective spot when it is Randy Savage and Andre the Giant doing it. Then when it is, once again, I hate referencing that match. <laughs> from primetime. <laughs> Jim Powers and Iron Mike Sharp from primetime wrestling. And also, I don't think Randy Savage is going to suffer the same embarrassing fate uh, as uh, as Jim Powers did. So Andre, known for his hard head and head butts, right? So Macho Man is not punching the head of Andre. He's throwing kicks and nothing but kicks. And then he's pulling at Andre's face and nose, trying to bust the nose that way. And then he's just stomping him with uh, with kicks. So I, I'm like, this is a, a perfect strategy for a smaller guy here. The ref helps get one arm out, finally sets the other arm free. They start trading shots and Andre knocks him into the corner and hits a few brutal chops in the corner on Macho Man. Yeah, hard overhand chops. Uh, looked like his hand was going to go straight through the body, through the chest of Randy Savage. More choking by Andre. Andre takes the turnbuckle pad off. Again, cheating for no other reason but uh, but to cheat. <laughs> takes the turnbuckle pad off. He rams the back of Savage's head into the exposed buckle three times. And then Andre goes for a headbutt. Savage is able to move, and Andre headbutts the exposed turnbuckle Savage then rams him into the turnbuckle again, not once, 
six more times. <laughs> and then the giant falls down. We should give special credit here. A shout out to Andre the Giant. He was awesome staggering, yeah. and grabbing the ropes and looking glassy-eyed before finally falling. You don't necessarily think of Andre the Giant in 1988 in particular as a great seller or, or like taking a great bump, but he was great here. Like this, we'll obviously finish describing the match, but this match for what it was, as far as the actual in-ring action for Andre the Giant being completely immobile and Savage having to carry him, this was so much more entertaining than I expected it to be. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so as the Giant goes down, as you described, he's uh, down on the mat. Savage takes a takes no time. He sprints to the top rope, takes advantage, hits the flying elbow. And I'm like going nuts. I'm like, holy crap. They're like, Savage is going to pin Andre. No, huge kick out by Andre. Which I had the same reaction you did because I had no recollection of anyone kicking out of the top rope elbow drop no. before Hulk Hogan did at WrestleMania 5. It never happened on sort of proper official canon never. WWF television. Monsoon even references it. Like, no yeah. one's kicked out of that. Well, and at WrestleMania 5, they say when Hogan kicks out of the. the the top rope elbow that nobody's ever done it before but here it happens i was shocked i'm like oh okay i don't remember andre winning so it, i guess we're gonna have some sort of wacky finish here and i can't imagine savage is gonna beat him with something other than that no and it wasn't just like he got his shoulder up like he like threw savage off him if he was just a little bit closer to the ropes this would have been the precursor to yokozuna kicking out of the elbow drop and eliminating uh randy savage from the royal rumble in the process savage misses a knee drop both men roll outside uh andre's leaning against the steps elizabeth runs up the steps to the ring apron for no reason no reason none whatsoever both guys are outside the ring (laughs) both guys are outside of the ring nothing is happening the only reason elizabeth runs up the steps to the apron is so Andre the Giant can do what you're going to describe. I feel like she should have already been there when the guys both went out. Or maybe she should have been there as after Savage hit the top rope elbow because she's anticipating her man is going to win because he's never not won with that move. The kickout happens. Then she's on the apron in the corner looking all concerned and shocked. And then what happens? And then she would have gone down the stairs to go check on him when Savage rolled out to the outside. But, uh, yeah, so we fixed it. Uh, That's not (laughs) how they did it. Uh, She climbs up the steps, gets on the apron for no reason. Andre then grabs grabs her by the, the ankle. He grabs her leg and ankle. Savage is attacking Andre. He's not letting go. Uh, They fight on the outside. The bell rings. Andre lets go. He gets inside. He grabs the title belt. He's holding it up, celebrating with the championship. It's announced. Let's hold on. Let's analyze this a little bit. (laughs) First, we have the what we've talked about before in 80s WWF, which is the referee counting 12 times faster when there's going to be a finish versus when there isn't going to be a finish on a countout. Then, and I know the idea with Andre is that he's not smart as a wrestling character, but Andre the Giant, after this whatever happens, goes into the ring and thinks that whatever it was that the referee's decision was out on the floor, that that meant he was going to be the champion? 
Yeah, either yeah, either got disqualified, <laughs> got counted out, or it was a double count out. None of which are even in the universe of possibilities that could lead to him being the champion. Uh, no, again, I'm gonna put this in the uh, the, the uh, cheating for the sake of cheating, uh, yes. celebrating a victory, trying to convince the referee that you should be the champion when there's zero scenarios that happened that would have resulted in you being champion based on what what just rolled out uh, in in front of you. But yeah, he grabs the belt, he's holding it up, he's celebrating. It's announced as a double countout. The Macho Man then carries Miss Elizabeth to the back. This a double count out, frustrating finish. Yeah, I don't know. I, this was fun though. I enjoyed it. I this exceeded all of my expectations. I had I was blown away by how how much I enjoyed this. Um, the uh, sixteen days later would be the SummerSlam uh, match. So a- after Hogan and savage win at SummerSlam. uh that's where uh hogan brushes his hand against the butt of miss elizabeth as she's uh uh up on 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 the shoulders and you get a little glance from savage and it starts the whole uh mega powers exploding build up to wrestlemania 5 one of the best long-term stories they've ever done we detailed in uh, in full on that episode of Primetime Wrestling, that special episode of Primetime Wrestling in 1989 that was the lead-in to WrestleMania Five, yep. the face-to-face episode of Primetime where they had all the uh, literally face-to-face showdowns at podiums with Vince McMahon moderating. Uh, they did a great job on that show of recapping that, and we did a pretty darn good job of recapping the recap. I, as we always do. And, yeah, so this uh, – this set up uh, a return. The Macho Man will be back later. So uh, we hit intermission right now where I'm sure they said tickets will go on sale for the next event, which actually like a month later had a Savage Andre rematch. So yeah. That's a, um, intermission entertainment here was locker room interviews that were recorded earlier in the day. But they weren't overly clear that they were recorded earlier in the day. So we had... <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon throwing to Gorilla Monsoon yes. in the locker room. And it, it ma- immediately made me think of Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary for Gorilla Monsoon <laughs> refereeing a match. And Gorilla Monsoon never identifying himself as Gorilla Monsoon in commentary and just saying the referee. Uh, and it also made me think of that other tape that we reviewed where we had Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary live. And then we had a second commentary track of Gorilla Monsoon doing post-produced oh, commentary yeah. over Gorilla Monsoon. So of this that is Philadelphia is, match uh, from the yes, Spectrum. Yeah, it is the theme of this podcast of many. Uh, one of them is Gorilla Monsoon Inception. <laughs> uh, in the back, they interview Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. They bring up Jake the Snake's wife Cheryl Roberts, which is another great storyline that they were doing where uh rick rude would have jake the snake robert's wife airbrushed on his tights um monsoon then interviews the rougeau brothers in the locker room uh, monsoon jokes his favorite joke about any canadian heels is if you love canada so much 
I can see if we can get you paid in Canadian dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the Rougeaus let us know that they have an 800 number for fans to call to tell them where you'd like them to move to when they move to the U.S. <laughs> 1-800-FABULOUS. Uh, I-, I had forgotten, we'll see even more in this match, I had forgotten how much I enjoyed the Rougeaus as just the the smarmy, ridiculously over-the-top mid-card heel tag team who could also do some cool stuff. Like, in my mind, I always associate them so much with uh, with Dino Bravo and yep. being double-managed by both Frenchie Martin and Jimmy Hart, uh, dressed up like he's, like, uh, a living embodiment of the Quebec Nordiques. Um, but they're, they're fun here in the match that we will see next. It is... The Rougeau brothers, the fabulous Rougeaus against the very newly babyface but still wrestling like heels, Heart Foundation. That's right. A lot of house show stalling early. The yes. first five minutes of this, we had a shoulder tackle by Anvil, an elbow drop by the Hitman, and the rest were just Rougeau shenanigans. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much house show Rougeau uh, shenanigans. I had some fun announcer notes. First, we got the obligatory, this could be a main event anywhere in the world, which Gorilla Monsoon said here. That is said at least once on every wrestling show from every promotion in the decade of the 1980s, and this was no exception. Also, I, I howled with laughter as superstar Billy Graham described the appearance, the physique of Jim the Anvil Nightheart as, quote, a square block which is very accurate. Uh, he also really, really, really likes Bret Hart's wet hair. Oh, commented he did. On, he so commented cool. On he that. thought that was so cool. Yeah. He, he liked that almost as much as he liked the size of the Barbarian and the Warlord. And then also we have Gorilla Monsoon. This must have been in the very early stages of them deciding like what nickname they were going to give Bret Hart. Because instead of the excellence of execution throughout this match, Gorilla Monsoon calls Bret Hart the mastery of execution, which does not quite have Didn't the roll same the ring tongue. to it. No. Not quite the same alliteration. There was also a weird part at the beginning where they were uh, uh, Superstar and Monsoon were confused by bike shorts. They uh, Yeah, what they, was that? They've they never were... seen bike shorts before? <laughs> the Rougeaus are in bike shorts, and... They were like, where's the other half of your gear? Like, it, where's the other half of the singlet? Or where's the other half of the long tights? Like, it, they they were wildly confused by uh, <laughs> by bike shorts. So. Yeah, I, I noted the same thing. But then I was trying to think, like, well, was there anyone else in wrestling with that look? I and racked my brain as well. I was like, I was like, wait, am I am I being too hard on him here? Wait, did, did was this? Did the Rougeos invent bike shorts in wrestling? <laughs> like, I definitely remember, and maybe it wasn't until, like, the early 90s, but I definitely remember that almost being the official uniform of jobbers on superstars. But, you know, I don't know. They, they were they were dumbfounded here. This was new fashion in 1988 for both Gorilla and the superstar. Hearts double-team Ramon in their corner. They, they did my favorite babyface switch without tagging just because that's what they've always done is heels for so long. They, they yes. keep doing it. I love that, that in this match, and that's one of them as well, where they do the switch behind the referee's back, clap their hands, even though they could have just made the tag. Um, I know that's one of your favorite spots always. But I, I did like that they don't have Jimmy Hart anymore. They are courting the cheers of the fans. 
but they are so used to wrestling as heels for their entire WWF careers that they don't really know how to start this match any other way than just doing a bunch of heelish stuff and still getting cheered. One of the things they do get cheered for is the big Jim the Anvil Nightheart dropkick, which Hell we yeah. see several times. I think you and I, before we started doing this podcast, meaning this whole podcast series several years ago, we had completely forgotten that Jim the Anvil Nightheart had a great standing dropkick, and then we are reminded every time we see him he does it every time i know i don't know how i didn't remember this seeing that he does it every single time but yeah it, it was uh it, it was something that this podcast reintroduced to us and, yes. and it, it it popped me the first few times i saw the anvil throwing these great drop kicks um we get jacques tripping the hitman from the outside to give the rougeos the advantage Heat on the Hitman for a long time. Like Marty Jannetty on that AWA 87 show, long time. Yes. This the one... only thing that helps it here is that the crowd is bigger. The crowd is more engaged. It's Bret Hart. But yes, this goes on and on. The theme of this match is that kayfabe-wise, Dave Hebner is the worst referee you have ever seen. And it's so funny because... Superstar Billy Graham is trying to say, oh, well, like, there's no way the referee could have missed that. There's no way. And then even he has to give this up as the match goes on. There are no less, and there may have been more, but there are no less than a half dozen times where he misses the tag. He's distracted. Uh, he misses obvious interference from the heels or even the baby faces. This happens so many times. Hitman finally makes the hot tag, and the anvil runs wild. He throws that drop kick we talked about. Uh, Hitman right back in off the second rope. They do like a modified version of Demolition's finisher, where uh, yeah, uh, the Rougeau's over the knee of uh, of Anvil, but Hitman instead of coming off with an elbow drop, comes off with the uh, the elbow drop straight down on. Well, the... it's a good thing he did that too, because think of the disaster of if he went for the regular version of the elbow drop oh, he off has the to second, because we've established that it's impossible for him to hit that over his entire career. What would that have looked like? That would have meant that like Ray Rougeau would have had to flip off the knee uh, to get out. And would, would Bret Hart have crashed elbow first into the knee of Jim Neidhart? They averted disaster here. Well, and a little extra to that move, the announcers didn't point it out, but uh uh, the Hearts were challenging Demolition for the tag team titles at SummerSlam 16 days from now. So throwing that in there. Uh, all four men are in the ring. Hitman hits a pile driver. And then Jacques, off the middle rope, comes with a blow to the back of the Hitman who had Ramon covered. Jacques then gets the pin on the Hitman. I was completely shocked. Uh, especially, like I just mentioned, the Hearts are getting the tag title shot at SummerSlam. Completely surprised by this uh, this result the, the rougeau's pinning bret hart and the hart foundation didn't we have a match on a tape or a wwf show of some sort maybe it was a prime time something that we reviewed from this era where the hart foundation similarly lost to a team that they absolutely should have beat like i don't think it was the bolsheviks but it might as well have been and bret hart got pinned and we were appalled <laughs> yeah. and that was my it was my same reaction, the same reaction I had here. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon was 
he's most gorilla monsoon here complaining about the refs he vociferously criticized raymond rujo's abdominal stretch saying he did not grapevine the leg and that there was no way that bret hart would give up and this was at a point in the match where bret was supposed to be in peril and you're supposed to believe that he may in fact give up um also have to note Jacques Rougeau firmly established himself as a heel in this match, not by his taunts, not by his cheating, but by the fact that he, as a man in good shape, no gut, not fat, hit a standing splash. If he was a baby face, the knees would have come up and he would have been in trouble. So he's established heel hitting that move. For me, this is the best in-ring action of the entire show this is the best match in ring i think uh i the most entered i was most entered more entertained by andre and savage but uh i think this match in the ring uh really delivered i thought they uh, this is this is a, a good match i thought it was good um i thought brett looked great the rujos were did some really cool stuff we got some drop kicks from anvil i think that the main event which we'll get to particularly the beginning of the main event was light years better than anything else on this show uh we'll we'll get to that momentarily but yeah this was this was good maybe i didn't like it as much as i should have because the finish annoyed me as did (laughs) all the uh just dave hebner being the worst referee ever missing everything um in kayfabe but yes this this was fun we then have the macho man randy savage returning serious macho man serious serious macho man he clearly just had a shower he's got a towel over his neck he's got wet hair that i'm sure was of great interest to superstar billy graham the thing that i like most about this is that randy savage has a second pair of wrestling tights different length they are full length long wrestling tights red and black that he just puts on after he showers that most times I guess he wouldn't wrestle in. Like it looks like the type of stuff he would wrestle in some 10 years later from here. I don't know why he's wearing this instead of like other normal people clothes after a shower, like workout clothes or something that, that amused me greatly, but he is serious. I'm hoping much like that episode of Monday nitro, some nine years later that you and I attended at the United center. I was hoping he had a chair and we were going to have a sit down strike in the center of the ring. He comes down to the ring and he's got something to say to the big guy, Andre the Giant. Oh, no, you know it, brother. I got a message for only one man. I got a message for you, Andre the Giant. Professional wrestler, it is only 103 pounds. 
Bobby Heenan. I've signed an open contract. And that means that any damn time that I get your man Andre the Giant in this square circle, I'm gonna kick his ass. That's what they wanted to hear. Oh yeah. That's pretty pretty blunt, dude, brother. Yeah, after that promo, that'll that, that'll get the the Los Angeles fans back in a month, right? Yeah, I would have been running. Uh, I would have been running to the box office uh, to get my ticket. So absolutely very effective. And now we go to the main event. Ravishing Rick Rude comes out. He tells all the fat, ugly West Coast worms to keep the noise down while he takes his robe off. I, I will say that I think one of the women in the front row would agree with Rick Rude asking people to keep the noise down. <laughs> Not because she like doesn't like the rest of the people there, but yeah. she... As like a woman in her twenties at a pro wrestling show is sitting front row with a bemused look on her face, knitting. Knitting, like she's got giant knitting needles and like a thing. She's like working on a blanket or something. She's, she's like, she's <laughs> working on a scarf deep into a blanket that she's been working <laughs> on. This is what you would expect, like one of the grannies that we've talked yes. about on like a world class show or like a. 70s or early 80s madison square garden show that we've reviewed this woman is in the demographic of people that they would show when rick rude comes out but it would be the woman who's like swooning yeah. and like got her hand on her chest and she just can't believe rick rude's muscles here this woman of the same age and look is just knitting <laughs> that was so weird it was also weird uh some dude holds up his like six-year-old shirtless kid who starts flexing and posing in front of rick rude's pose this was he hilarious so it was hilarious and it was also fascinating to me because he held his child aloft in the air in a different way than i've ever seen a human being <laughs> hold a child before i don't even know how to describe this it was like he had his hands under like the kid's like knees or lower thigh and elevated them to the heavens like if if this was a cage match this kid could have climbed out without even having to step like he was already over this was so distracting i don't know how i have no idea how rick rude did not break character no he knows so he it. didn't even like acknowledge that that kid what was a doing pro. it what a pro his opponent jake the snake roberts jake comes out he grabs the mic he says he's disappointed that rude didn't wear the cheryl roberts tights he said he's disappointed that you, you wore it on TV day, he said, but you didn't wear it here. We should also note this is sort of a house show that's being televised, but not like a true television show. Liberal use of the word ass in the last 30 minutes of this program as Randy Savage says he's going to kick Andre the Giant's ass, which you just heard in that promo. And then Jake the Snake Roberts says the same thing uh, about Rick Rude here. couple notes. First, Jake the Snake Roberts is in the best shape I've ever seen him in his entire life. Like, he's not ripped like Lex no, Luger, but great. He's, he's cut. He's got biceps. He has neck muscles. And they are 
moving at the start of this. Uh, Jake chases Root out to the floor, back into the ring. And I feel like I'm watching an Azumi Starlight Kid match in stardom. It's like the high-speed title is on the line between Jake the Snake Roberts and Ravishing Rick Root. This is awesome. No, they started like a fight, which you, you love to see when it's a personal story. This is a personal story of uh, Rick Rude uh, going after Jake's wife. So Jake is not here to wrestle. He's here to fight. And and Rude is running away because he cannot hang in a fight with, no. uh, with Jake. So, yeah, this was great. A lot of back and forth. Jake immediately goes for the DDT. Rude avoids it. I love when Jake goes for the DDT and, and whoever his opponent is here, Rick Rude, avoids it how Jake goes down to the mat so quickly as well. Like he's he's not trying to do the move any less aggressively than he would if he hits it. Like there's no tell that this isn't going to be hit. Um, I, I am just in love with this match at the start. Just the intensity uh, and urgency from Rude, or excuse me, from Jake, uh, Rude, has every bit as much urgency in getting out of the ring. Um, and yeah, this is this is good stuff to start. Yeah, after a second attempt at a DDT, Rude rolls to the floor to escape this time. Jake looked like he hurt himself. I don't I couldn't tell if he was selling or if he was actually injured here. when um, he went for the uh, the DDT yeah. again and dropped down and then yeah, when Rude went out, he definitely looked slower after that. I was distracted though. Because a child, a different child than the child that was lifted to the heavens shirtless earlier, a different child is giving Rick Rude the finger, and it's blurred here. The finger is blurred, which just cracked me up because there's so much stuff that we've seen of fans giving wrestlers the finger on pay-per-views that are on the WWE Network slash Peacock that are never blurred. But here, on this hidden gem, old-school WWF house show from August 13th, 1988. Someone watched this show. Someone working for the company watched this show all the way through that deeply into the main event that they blurred this middle finger of a young fan. And it wasn't even like it was a close up. This was just something that the hard cam caught in the foreground and they had to blur it. Jake works a wrist lock. We get a rope break and Rude goes to the outside again. Jake follows him rams the arm and shoulder into the ring post jake drops the arm over the top rope he's working this arm hold for a while and the, the crowd starts chanting arm, for ddt's the punch to the armpit from jake i loved that so did gorilla I, monsoon he thought oh, that was awesome too he loved that uh, that was very cool uh, i also the one point to where superstar billy graham reached entertaining just in terms of absurdity uh, levels that Dusty Rhodes would often reach on WCW shows is when Billy Graham is convinced multiple times in the course of a sentence, a rebuttal, and then another sentence that in 1988, they are living in the 23rd century. <laughs> the 23rd century. Gorilla Monsoon almost died when he's like, are you sure? Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you want to take a minute? <laughs> well, the best part was that Billy corrected himself it said the 20th century and then immediately said the 23rd 21st, century yeah. again and then had to correct himself again. This was fantastic. <laughs> so we get uh, Jake working the arm for a while here. He goes for the short clothesline but misses. And uh, he Rude hits a clothesline. Jake rolls outside. Rude, Rick Rude under, 
underrated lariat guy. Very for much. For the yeah. time and for a guy that didn't spend a ton of time in Japan, underrated, nice clothesline from Rick Rude. Jake's outside. Rude rams Jake back first into the post. Back inside, Rude is working over the back of Jake. Almost like a camel clutch chin lock here by Rick Rude. Yep, just without the arms uh, draped over your own knees. But yeah, not a not like a reverse chin lock. This is camel clutch adjacent. Jake powers out of it. He tries the DDT a few times. Each time gets countered again by Rude. Jake knocked off the apron with a clothesline by Rude. Takes a hard bump. Like, this wasn't quite a Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Nesty plunge, but it was closer to it than I ever expected to see in 1988 from Jake the Snake. Rude rams Jake back first into the post again. Jake's on the apron. Rude is in the ring. He picks him up and pulls him over the top rope like he's going to try to slam him into the ring. Jake's holding on to the top rope. Rude can't slam him, get, can't break the grip on the top rope. Falls back. Jake lands on top of Rick Rude and gets the three count. Your winner, Jake the Snake Roberts. Rude infuriated after putting the boots to him after the match. And the show just cuts off and goes off the air. Yeah, they. I mean, they wrap it up. The announcers wrap it up. So it's definitely the actual ending of the show as far as the TV portion. I really enjoyed this match. Well, me the too. Finish, this was... The finish was a little confusing to me or a little counterproductive in that you know, you have Jake win basically by Rude slipping on a banana peel. Rude beats him down after the match. And then Jake just lays on the floor and the show goes off the air. Like I fully expected that what was going to happen was after Jake gets this sort of, you know, kind of flash pin on Rude, Rude tries to beat him down. Jake hits the DDT to we send the fans home happy. Never got the DDT. No, they never got the DDT. And, but that doing it that way would have had Rude lose, but he doesn't lose to the DDT, loses in kind of a fluky way, so he keeps his heat. But then Jake hits the DDT, sends a fan so happy, and makes Jake look strong. Instead, Jake wins, but it seems like it's a fluke. He gets beat down afterward, and then it's just over. Kind of a strange way to finish the show, but I love this match, particularly the first half. Like I said, that opening three, four minutes. I thought was by far the best thing on this show. Just the intensity, uh, the urgency from both guys. There was one point before the match started to slow down where like they had a, a fiery square off where they're both, you know, hands up almost like boxing style position. They're both yelling at each other. Hebner's yelling at both of them. That was so great. So exciting. It did kind of drop off toward the end, um, but still good stuff. Is that your best thing on this show? I would say for me, that was definitely my best thing on the show. I just, I always like to me, those two guys, Rude and and Jake are just attached at the hip. Like they're just such a perfect matchup for each other, both in terms of characters and in ring. Um, and I just thought that had an intensity that nothing else on the show had honorable mentions to blue angel being awesome. And also, um, Jake this or uh, Randy Savage, Macho Man Randy Savage and Andre the Giant pulling off a much better match than I would have expected, given all the constraints of, of what Andre was, even if the finish sucked. Yeah, I'll say that's my favorite thing on this show, I think, was that match uh, overall total 
as a package uh that i thought that was uh because it exceeded all my expectations ex- yeah. expectations were low they were exceeded i had a great time watching that match i did love everything you mentioned in the main event as well but the, definitely my favorite thing was andre and savage worst thing on this show for you worst thing on this show is as much as i would be tempted to say like barry horowitz's performance or the opener or the bolsheviks powers of pain to me, the worst thing on the show is how terrible Kurt Henning looked. That yeah. was okay. shocking for a young, but not like so young. Like we've seen Kurt Henning in 87, 88 on AWA stuff, and he looked great. And yeah. you could see the path to him being Mr. Perfect. Here he looked awful uh, against, uh, against SC Jones. The other thing I would just say is that I think you and I differed more on heart foundation and rujos than we probably have on a lot of other things that we've watched in recent episodes like i didn't mind it um but i think you enjoyed it a lot more than i did i think i probably like i said couldn't get my head around seeing bret hart drop the fall here it just annoyed (laughs) me the mastery of execution with his beautiful wet hair was so great (laughs) and he was screwed yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you reminded me that how much I hated that SD Jones match. Uh it it was SD Jones and Kurt Hennig was so long. Like it, while Barry Horowitz in the Blue Angel while Horowitz was on offense was bad. Uh the match overall was great because of the Blue Angel. So uh, I have to say the worst thing in the show by a mile has to be that SD Jones Kurt Hennig match because it just went on and on and there was no redeeming value at all like it was felt like 30 minutes at minimum it was 13 of the longest like just terrible stuff i've seen so yeah that's that's absolutely the worst thing on the show well it also it did not get any better when kurt henning was on offense versus when sc jones was on offense and that is not something you would expect at all and that's in stark contrast to as you mentioned blue angel owen hart and barry horowitz where when Horowitz was on offense, it was really boring. But when Angel was on offense, it was great. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. So definitely, if you want to interact with the show, you need to do that via social media. Twitter at Wrestle at Random. Same for Instagram. Facebook.com slash Wrestling at Random as well. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts about the shows. Other shows we've reviewed. If you're, you know, This is all evergreen content. If you're just now watching... The Battle of Royal Albert Hall. You're just now listening to that podcast and you think something's great or hilarious and you want to chime in, send, uh, interact with us that way. We remember that show. We just brought it up again today. So please uh, you know, interact with the show no matter where you are in the evergreen watching and listening of the podcast timeline. Uh, I mentioned watching because we're also on YouTube. You can subscribe there as well. Uh, search for Wrestling at Random Podcast. It'll pull it up there. Um, all the subscribes, uh, comments, all that stuff helps us, uh, to, uh, uh, work the algorithm and get, get discovered by other folks. Same thing with the, uh, subscribing to the podcast. Our first, the audio version is always our, our love and, and we need to continue to grow it. And the way you can do that is by, uh, uh supporting us two ways. One via our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There we have bonus episodes that come out every single week. We're, uh, if you're listening in linear fashion, 90-some episodes into that bonus content. When you subscribe, you unlock all of them, the entire back catalog of the podcast. So there's some there's some great stuff back there. You subscribe for one month, you've unlocked the entire back catalog. 
Um, we also have options for you to be the randomizer. We call it the intentionalizer. All the, the details there at the Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. The best way to support this show. If you can't support us financially in these times, we also understand that as well. You can support the show by word of mouth, by telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Wrestling fans know other wrestling fans, so make sure you tell them about the show and show them how to subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. So help them out. Uh, your word of mouth is, is, is another great way to support the show. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. I was at a loss for words because I was still legitimately reflecting on that Kurt Hennig SD Jones match. And just, I still can't wrap my mind around Kurt Hennig looking that bad in 1988. So thank you, randomizer, I guess. I never in my, in a million years would have thought that was possible. And now probably for the next few years, at least every single time, I see Kurt Henning every single time we watch a show that has a Kurt Henning match that is going to be in my mind. And I will most likely bring it up on the show because even months or years later, I will still be trying to process that match. Thanks again, everyone for listening. Talk to you again next time.